Today we're beginning a brand new sermon series from the book of Galatians. And whenever a pastor starts a new sermon series, especially if it's based on a particular book of the Bible, it's always useful to know why this book and why now. Why study Galatians now? Well, as a pastor, I, I think it's highly important, very important for everybody who calls First Covenant Church home to be firmly grounded in the basic truths, tenets, and principles of, of the Bible, of the Christian faith. And there, there is no truth more basic and more fundamental to what it means to be a Christian than to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to know how God saves people, and we need to make sure that we ourselves are among that number that are being saved. We need to know this for ourselves, but also so that we can then in turn share the good news of Christ with others around us. And that's where this little book of Galatians comes in. It's, it's only six chapters long. It's, it's pretty brief. It only takes maybe a 30 minutes or so to read through it. But do not be deceived by its size and its length. It is, it is spiritual dynamite. Martin Luther read it. And explosion went off in his heart, and he started the Protestant Reformation. John Wesley heard a sermon based on Luther's commentary on Galatians, and he was profoundly converted. From Luther to Calvin to Wesley to the Puritans to Spurgeon to Billy Graham to today, Galatians has impacted countless people and believers about who they are and what they believe up to today. So having said that, how can I... Be free. That's a question we're looking at today. How can I be free? More than anything else, Galatians is a book about freedom. It answers the questions, question, how can I be free? How can I be free from guilt? How can I be free from shame? How can I be free from fear, from doubt, from sin? How can I be free from always trying and always coming up a little bit short? How can I be free? When the world looks at this question, it offers two contradictory answers. Some people think freedom comes from obeying all the rules, doing the right things. Do good, try harder, go to church, be baptized, give your money, follow the Ten Commandments, obey the golden rule, so on and so forth. The list is endless because as human beings, we're endlessly creative in the way that we can devise to try to please God and find acceptance from him. But rule keeping always fails in the end because you can never be sure if you've done enough or sometimes even if you're following the right rules. On the other extreme are those who say that freedom comes by throwing all the rules aside. Do what you want. Have a blast. You only go around once. Go for the gusto. There are no rules. If it feels good, do it. But in the end, this approach, which is called hedonism, cannot satisfy either. You end up exchanging one kind of slavery for another. You drink and end up with a hangover. You gamble and lose your money. You sleep around, and even if you don't get a disease, you wake up the next morning feeling guilty with a hole in your heart. We can end up like Solomon, who had it all and tried it all and concluded with a cry of desperation at the end of partway through Ecclesiastes I hated life. It's meaningless. Rules cannot save us, but we won't be happy if we ignore the rules altogether either. So if legalism, trying to find happiness by keeping the rules, doesn't work, and if hedonism, the pure pursuit of pleasure regardless of the rules, doesn't work, where can we find true freedom in life? 
Galatians offers us a simple and compelling answer. Freedom comes not from rules or from the lack of rules. True freedom comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The only true freedom is the freedom that comes from knowing him as Lord and Savior. Those who, whom Christ sets free are free indeed. That's why Galatians is, is so important and, and so powerful. It points us in a revolutionary direction and, and invites us to discover the meaning of life itself. Are you interested in, in real peace, lasting freedom, and the power to, to live a new life? If the answer is yes, then join us as we journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, a couple of, of, of things about the context so we can kind of dig in a little bit. Uh, Paul obviously was the one who wrote this letter. And Galatia was not a specific town, but it was a region, a region where there were several uh, smaller churches. And so as Paul's letter would have gone to one of the churches and it would have been read and it would have been passed on to the next church and they would have read it and so on and so forth. So Paul's letter is to a region of called Galatia. Something else that will help us a little bit more is to understand what he's dealing with and what he's answering is to look at another situation in the Bible where Paul, um, Paul comes up against some legalism in the early church. Acts 15, which is a very pivotal, important event in the life of the early church. And what happened was the gospel was under attack. But before we look at what that means, let's let's define the gospel. I don't want to assume anything here. Sometimes we throw around the words and definite, but we don't really define things. So let's define the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel means good news. And what's the good news? The good news is that we are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting in what he did for us on the cross when he died for our sins and when he rose again from the dead. And through faith in Christ, we can be forgiven and we can have life, new life, both here and for eternity. And this is a gift from God to all who believe in Christ. It's grace. That's the gospel in a nutshell. So anyhow, what was happening was the gospel was spreading and and more Gentiles, non-Jews, were coming to the faith. And there was this big discussion in the church if it went like this, if Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ, then when they come to faith in Christ, do they then have to adopt our culture? Do they have to follow Jewish rules? Do they have to be circumcised and follow Old Testament regulations? In other words, what was being asked here is, is, is faith in Christ enough? Or do they need to add things to it? Do they need to become Jewish and be circumcised? And there are some people in the church, believe it or not, who are arguing for and teaching that, yes, those things were needed and necessary in addition to Christ to be saved. So Acts 15, one says this. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching their brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, we don't know if Paul wrote Galatians before this happened in Acts 15 or in response to it afterwards. But we do know that in Galatians, he is addressing this group of people, they were called Judaizers, and is teaching that you need to be circumcised and other things in order to be saved along with believing in Christ. And what happened here in Acts 15 was the early church leaders, Peter and Paul were both included, was that they had this discussion and they were led by the Holy Spirit and they said, no, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to follow these Old Testament laws. You don't have to adopt our culture to be saved. That would be a contamination of the grace of the gospel. 
And Peter said this in verse 11 in chapter 15 of Acts. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And so this teaching, this legalism was struck a blow in Acts 15. And, fight is, and Paul is also fighting it here in Galatians. And to this day, legalism keeps trying to creep back into the church and into the lives of individual believers. Because you see, whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we recognize it or not, at some level, we can often think that there is something we can do, something we can add in order to be approved and accepted by God. For instance, we may think that if we have spent good time in in prayer and Bible study this past week, or if we come to church faithfully, or if we give and do good things, then God accepts us. And we think that if we don't do those things or haven't done those things very well, then God will not accept us. And and, and that's a performance-based kind of faith that is really legalism. And I want us to make sure we know what legalism is so we can call it when we see it. So what is it? Let's define. Legalism first is working in our own power. It's saying and or acting in a way that says, I need to be involved in my salvation. It's saying, God, um, you do the hard stuff of dying on the cross and all that, but I need, to, I need to bring something to the table too. And so we can come up with a list of things that need to be added to Christ's work on the cross. Pray more, give more, do more good deeds, etc. All trying to earn God's favor and secure our salvation. But when we do this, we, we lose something precious. We leave grace behind. Remember grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, salvation, eternal life, forgiveness, new life, peace, hope for the future, all these things are a gift that we cannot earn that are given to us by Christ's death and through his resurrection. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And legalism teaches that that is not enough, that we need to add to it. Secondly, legalism defined as working according to our own rules. The Judaizers, those who were teaching that you need to be circumcised to be saved, were bringing in all sorts of Old Testament rules and regulations. And whenever we today add our own rules to what it means to be a Christian, you have to maybe dress a certain way, hang out with certain people, avoid certain people, vote a certain way, whatever it might be, we do the same thing. Third, legalism defined, and this is the heart of what legalism is, is working in order to earn God's favor. And this is where we come face to face with the reality that Scripture teaches, and that is the power of God's grace. God's acceptance of you and me is not based upon our performance for him. Let me say that again. God's acceptance of you and me is not based upon our performance for him. And this is what Paul is so adamantly and passionately writing about here in Galatians 1. Verses 8 and 9 say this. (laughs) But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, which is salvation through faith in Christ alone, it's a gift of grace. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, Let that person be under God's curse. It's that in verses 8 and 9. So God's acceptance of you is not based upon your performance for him. It's based upon his grace offered to you through faith in Christ. 
So how do we make sure that we don't fall uh, prey to legalism? There are two truths here in Galatians 1. Two truths about the gospel and from the gospel that, that strike at the heart of legalism. The first is that the gospel, the good news, is, is free. Why is that important? Because if it's free, it stands to reason that means there's nothing we can do to earn it or to buy it or add to it. We simply have to receive it as a gift, humbly, recognizing our need and accepting it from God as a gift. Grace is so important to Paul. He uses it over a hundred different times in his letters because it's so crucial to knowing and understanding and following and finding freedom in Jesus Christ. Verse 21. I do not set aside, though, the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Don't set aside grace, Paul says. It is the only thing that can save you. It is free, and we cannot claim or should not claim any credit at all for our salvation. And God the Father is the one who initiated our salvation. In verses 13 and 14, Paul writes about how he used to be before he met Christ, how he persecuted the church and how he was so zealous and so passionate and intense about following the rules and the regulations. And then in verse 15, he says something happened to change all that. He says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul is saying here, it was God's initiative he is the one who called me before, from the point of birth. He called me by his grace. He revealed his son to me. It was all God's initiative. Remember how it happened? He was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, and the risen Christ appears to him and stops him in his tracks and calls him to repentance, calls him to faith, saves him, and then sends him out to preach the gospel. And Paul tells us in Galatians 1, if we don't want to fall prey to legalism that we have to remember that we have nothing to do with our salvation. It was totally and completely initiated by God through Christ. Grace is all about what God has done for us and what he offers to us. The good news of the gospel is not first and foremost about what we can do, although we are in response to the gospel to go and do good works and to share the good news. But at its core, the gospel is not about what we can do. It's about what Christ is about, what Christ has done already for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The second, finally, the second truth about the gospel, the good news that strikes at the heart of legalism, is that grace sets us free. Verse 4. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Why? To rescue us from the present evil age. Through faith in Christ, we are rescued. We are set free. We are set free from selfishness. We are set free from sloth or addiction or lust or worry. We can be set free from shame and guilt. We can be set free from legalism. Through Christ, we are rescued and set free we are to live through and by his grace. Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
And so no matter what your past looks like and no matter what your present looks like, no matter how much you struggled with a certain sin this past week, no matter how unworthy you may feel before God this morning, the reality and the joy and the gift of the gospel is this. When you trust in Christ, in Christ alone, you are saved. You're saved by his grace and you are set free. Psalm 103 says, He has taken your sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43 says, He remembers your sins no more. 1 John 1.9 says, He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Do you want to be free? It all starts with an understanding of God's grace. Receiving that grace and living through and by that grace. God has saved us through Christ. And now through and by His grace, We are set free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the fact that he has done everything for us that we need to be saved. There is nothing that can be added to it, nothing that can be subtracted to it, nothing that we can bring to the table other than simply a humble and broken and grateful heart. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are saved through faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace. Lord, we pray that um, we would be mindful of the times when legalism begins to creep into our life and we begin to add to it or to require others to do something in addition to trusting in you. So, Father, help us to be people who understand and comprehend and apply your grace and allow your grace to change us. So, Lord, as we come to the table now in just a minute, may it be a time when your spirit works in our hearts to shape us more and more into people who are freed and shaped and defined by your grace. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.